Walking with Jesus, serving with love, and sharing with courage. Welcome to the Pecan Podcast. Hello, friends. It is Pastor Courtney. So good to be with you today as we continue on in the PCOM podcast series on politics. Say that five times fast. We are talking about all things politics as we lead up to the election. And I will start with my same disclaimer. I've been disclaiming on each of these podcasts, which is that I am not going to tell you how to vote. I am not going to try to push you towards the right or the left, the red or the blue. I believe that part of a pastor's role in an election season, but really in any season at all, is to encourage the folks within the congregation to think deeply and wisely about politics and to prayerfully prepare to participate in the arena of politics. So my goal is not to persuade you to vote one way or the other. My goal is to push you toward our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, deep into scripture and into thinking deeply about how we serve Jesus in this world, how we care for our neighbors in this world, and what God is calling us to do, not just with our vote, um, which in many ways is a very small thing, It is a very big, small thing. It's very important, but it is just one drop in the bucket of how we live in a political world. So I'm going to begin today's episode by reading a poem, which on the surface may have very, seem to have very little to do with politics, but stay with me. This is a poem written by Scott Cairns, who is an Eastern Orthodox Christian. He's a writer. He's a poet. He has lovely books out there, books like A Short Trip to the Edge, The End of Suffering, Idiot Psalms is one of his books of poetry. I will link to them in the show notes. He is a delight. Um, I had the opportunity to meet him a few years back at the Festival of Faith and Writing at Calvin College, and he was just as lovely in person. I've admired his writing for, uh, for over a decade now. And this is his poem, which is called On Slow Learning. If you've ever owned a tortoise... You know how terribly difficult paper training can be for some pets. Even if you get so far as to instill in your tortoise the value of achieving the paper, there remains one obstacle, your tortoise's intrinsic sloth. Even a well-intentioned tortoise may find himself in his journeys to be painfully far from the mark, failing Your tortoise may shy away for weeks within his shell, utterly ashamed, or, looking up with tiny, wet eyes, might offer an honest shrug. Forgive him. Again, that's On Slow Learning by the poet Scott Cairns. I will link to the poem and also to a couple more of his books in the show notes. And I share that poem for two reasons. One, I think it's important to remember as we're working to be charitable with one another that we are all slow learners, (laughs) that we ourselves are the tortoise who's trying to make it to the paper and not always being successful, and that that's true of our friends, that's true of our neighbors, that's true of the people who sit a few pews away in the congregation 
And so to practice patience with ourselves as we learn and grow and with one another as we learn and grow. The other reason I share that is because the former governor of New York, Mario Cuomo, has a famous quote that circulates every election season. He once said, you campaign in poetry and you govern in prose which was a poetic way of saying the campaigns are all about these grand ideals, but then when you're elected, it turns into this gritty reality of policies and votes and procedures and laws and legal wrangling. But there's something beautiful about campaigning in poetry. Campaigns, even campaigns that are as hard fought as the the season we're in right now, are an opportunity for us to say, what about our country could be better? What about our country could be stronger? What about our country could do a more thorough job of caring for the least of these, of educating our children and our families, of making sure no one goes to bed hungry, of caring for our small businesses, of supporting our hospitals and medical establishments, of making sure our people are as healthy as they can be, right? All of these questions in the gritty realities of governing are are almost hard to step back and take the long view and say, okay, what is the ideal that we're hoping for? What are we attempting to do as a people, as a country. And so even amidst all of the campaigning with the vitriol and the rhetoric and the mudslinging and the campaign ads and all of these things that are going on, there's also a beautiful opportunity in an election season for us, especially as Christians, to step back and say, okay, what is working well in our country and what needs a lot of thought and prayer and adjustment and how can we adjust those things? So I think there's hope within that quote. Some some folks say that that's a very bleak quote, right? It's, it's saying it's okay to lie in the campaign and then just do what you want to do once you're in office. But I don't think... I don't think that's the real nugget of what the governor, the former governor was trying to say. I think there is an opportunity for idealism that can be a really beautiful thing. And I wanted to share this morning as we talk about campaigning in poetry and approaching politics as Christians with a poetic spirit, right? What does God call us to? What is God's hope for the world, for our neighbors? How can we participate in these works of justice and righteousness and truth and beauty? I wanted to share some of the dreams that have um, that have come down the pipeline throughout the history of America. So I'm going to read a few of these. First is from Emma Lazarus, her sonnet, The New Colossus, which was published in 1883 and is inscribed on the Statue of Liberty. Emma Lazarus in this sonnet writes, Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. It was this hope that for people who were mired in poverty, who didn't have the freedom to worship, who were just scraping by, who had these big dreams, America could be a place where they could make those things happen. And I wonder what your story is, friend. I wonder where your parents or your grandparents or your great-grandparents or your great-great-grandparents came from 
to come to this country, or maybe you're native to this country. And I would love to hear that story as well, but share those stories with me. Where did you come from on your journey to America in your family tree? A little bit about my family history. My mother's side of the family is almost 100% German, but they didn't start out that way. My great-grandmother Her name was Barbara. She lived to be 103. She spent many, many years in the same brownstone house right outside Chicago's Wrigley Field. She was an amazing woman, but when she was only a few years old, she was a Russian citizen. And then Russia realized we have a lot of land, and Germany realized we need more land, and they actually did a person-land swap. So one day she was a Russian citizen, and the next day, because of a deal that she had no say in, she and her parents and her family were suddenly German citizens. They were traded for land, and that was the beginning of her life story. So she has always considered herself German, um, but there's there's there was Russian blood in those veins, and it's it's such an example to me that we don't always choose the path that we are set upon. Sometimes there are powers at work that are far beyond us and the tides of history turn whether we choose them or not. Um, but she lived this this beautiful life. She and her she and her parents and her siblings immigrated to the United States. First they stopped in Argentina and then they stopped in Kansas. Argentina was too hot, Kansas was too hot, and then they stopped in Chicago and they just fell in love. And that was that was their life. They they lived in Chicago in this neighborhood in this same brownstone house for decades and decades and decades. My great great-grandfather was part of a a business there. He was actually part of a a coffin and casket business. He did deliveries and they made their life and they had six children, but it started in Russia, which then became Germany. And that was the beginning of their immigration story. I would love to hear friends, if you have a story like that back in your history, or maybe recently, maybe you're the first generation in your family to live on American soil. I would love to hear those stories. And that's one of the ideals that was set out by our founding fathers was for folks who need freedom to worship, for folks that have a desire to better themselves, America is going to be that type of country that if you are willing to come and to work hard and to set your sights, that one of the goals in the founding of this country was America would be a place where you could worship as you felt led and where the sky was the limit if you were wanting to press in. Um, so that's Emma Lazarus. Now let's turn to something a little bit more recent. Secondly, this is, I'm sure, familiar to, to most of you, to perhaps all of you. Um, but in 1963, Martin Luther King Jr. gave his famous, I have a dream speech. And I'm sure most of you know, Martin Luther King Jr. was a pastor in addition to being a really fantastic orator and courageous advocate for, for civil rights. And in this speech, he says that he dreams of a day when children will be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And I think what what really strikes me about this quote and the part that's often um, not not cited is that the beginning of the quote is I I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin but by the content of their character and 
that has a different ring to it because suddenly it's Martin Luther King Jr. as a parent thinking, will my children grow up in a country that is different, a country that sees them based on what's on their hearts versus um, what's on the outside and those snap judgments that often were made and still are made toward people of color. I I have a dear friend who lives in Washington, D.C., and she is black. And every once in a while in our phone conversations, she's like, I'm sorry, it just, you know, I went to the grocery store today and someone said this to me, someone said that to me, and just judging her based on the color of her skin. And she's a person with multiple advanced graduate degrees who's lived all over the world and is in seminary training and deeply wise. But people don't see all those things when they look at her. They see a black woman and make assumptions and sometimes say very, very cruel things. So it's hard. It's hard to reckon with the the dream that, that Martin Luther King Jr. had and so eloquently spoke of and the place where we still are as a country. But... Campaigning in poetry, governing in prose, I think gives us an opportunity to step back and say, okay, how how could we do this differently? What needs to change in my own heart, in our culture, in how we we work and serve and preach and teach as a church? Uh, I think all of those questions are are deeply important, and campaigning in poetry gives us a chance to step back from the daily grind and take the long view and ask ourselves those questions. Lincoln, in his in his home learning, had a Martin Luther King Jr. exercise last week where he was asked to write down a dream that he has, something that he wishes was different um, about the country that we live in, something that he loves our country so much he wants to make better. And his concluding sentence was that he has a dream that one day children will be able to vote. (laughs) He is feeling very passionate about the political system and the political process, and he wants in on it. Um, We 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 love that. I love that 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 is part of what he's feeling passionate about right now. And I hope always, I hope always to make the world a better place and to serve Jesus and serve his neighbors with love and courage and gladness. So we've got Emma Lazarus, we have Martin Luther King Jr. And now I want to move to a more spiritual dream, a more spiritual hope as we talk about governing in poetry. And this is from Eugene Peterson. So Eugene Peterson is a you know, famous Christian author. He translated the message translation of the Bible, um, and he died just recently. And Eugene Peterson writes this devotional about hope and campaign seasons give us an opportunity for real hope. What do we hope will be different? What do we, what do we long for as a country and how can we band together to make this happen, to prayerfully work for the good of our neighbors? So hope on the line. This is a devotional from Eugene Peterson, which again, I will link to in the show notes. He writes every day I put hope on the line. I don't know one thing about the future. I don't know what the next hour will hold. There may be sickness, personal or world catastrophe. Before this day is over, I may have to deal with death, pain, loss, rejection. I don't know what the future holds for me or those whom I love, for my nation, for this world. Still, despite my ignorance and surrounded by tinny optimists and cowardly pessimists, I say that God will accomplish his will and cheerfully persist in living in the hope that nothing separates me from Christ's love. 
God's strong name is our help, the same God who made heaven and earth. Psalm 124, verse 8. It's from Eugene Peterson's book, Living the Message. Where our hope lies. And I think as we balance this political hope, this political optimism, what do we wish was different or better? And maybe as you're listening, you're thinking, gosh, with a second term, my hope is that President Trump could do this and that. Or maybe as you're listening, you're thinking, gosh, my hope is that President Trump doesn't get a second term and that President Biden would be able to do this or that. I think Eugene Peterson's word to us is deeply, deeply important that no matter who is in that office in November, or I guess who is elected to that office in November or reelected, and who is sitting in that office come January, our hope ultimately rests in the Lord. So as Christians, we are responsible for this unique political dance, that we work for the salvation of the world, that we work for the common good, that we are called to participate in these arenas, whether that's a local parent-teacher association or that's the national political scale. The, The thing that we must also remember and balance is that our hope ultimately rests in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, as Tim Keller said and wrote in the New York Times, as I read on the podcast two weeks ago, Christians will never fit perfectly into either political party. But our goal is that we would be faithful to Jesus, that we would be kind to one another, that we would work for the common good, and that we would always, always remember that our hope is not in red or blue, left or right. Our hope is in our Lord Jesus Christ, and he will win the ultimate battle and, in fact, has won the ultimate battle for us. So friends, we campaign in poetry, we govern in prose. I would love to hear what your hopes are for this country. What are your hopes for our country, for your neighbors, for your business, for your friends, for your family, for your church? What are you hoping for? I think when when we are asked this question, it really does start to show what's in our hearts Long ago, I interviewed for a pastoral position at a church, and the interview had gone quite well. And near the end, they said, do you have any questions for us? And I said, you know, what what are your greatest hopes for your church? What do you hope would happen here? What do you hope God will do for you and in you and with you and through you? And the committee, they all kind of looked at one another, and there was a long pause And then every member on that committee just started speaking critically about things they didn't like. They said, well, this isn't going well, and that isn't going well, and we don't like this, and this needs to change, and this is bad. And that was the moment that I realized I could not pastor that church because they had lost hope. And some pastors are really good at drumming up hope. That is not my spiritual gift. Um, I, I, I realized then, especially it was many, many years ago, at the young age I was, that I couldn't be the one to restore hope to them, that if they had lost hope, it was going to be a long road back. And I I had to turn down the, the church, turn down the position. So when I ask that question, I'm not asking what is terrible, what has gone horribly wrong. I'm asking, what is your hope? What is your hope? Maybe your hope is that children could vote like Lincoln, or that there would be no children going hungry in our country. Maybe your hope is that revival would break out in our nation. What is your hope? 
How can you campaign in poetry in this season? Our scripture for today, I want to turn us back into scripture, is from the book of James chapter 1. And as we're thinking, what is a Christian's role in politics? I, I think this is one of the most powerful verses in scripture about Christianity and politics. James 1 verse 27 James writes, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When James writes of orphans and widows, he is writing about the most vulnerable in the day of Jesus, the most vulnerable. If you were a widow, you had no means of supporting yourself, providing for yourself. If you were an orphan, you had no means of providing for yourself, of supporting yourself. It's James' way of saying, look around who is at the greatest risk, at the greatest need. True religion is to look out for them. And even as we work for the salvation of the world to keep from being dragged down by the world, we see how the world campaigns, right? There is mudslinging, there is hypocrisy, there are outright lies. And God says, no, 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 not for you. Not for you. You are on the better road, the higher path. You are not to stoop to these things. You are not to say, well, the end justifies the means to care for the most vulnerable and to live a life of grace and truth and integrity. It is a high calling, friends, and none of us can do it on our own. None of us can do it on our own. All right, we're going to turn now to our recommendations. Time for recommendations. If you need a little whimsy in your life and a few chuckles, I came across a documentary this week that I just adored. It is called The Barkley Marathons. It's called the Barkley Marathons. You can find it on Amazon Prime. You can rent it other places. It is the story of what is deemed by many to be the hardest endurance race anywhere in the world. And it takes place in Tennessee, just outside Knoxville. And it is quirky and it is hilarious. And you will find yourself rooting for these runners and... I don't know about you, but there is something about sitting comfortably on my sofa while watching people do incredible feats of human endurance that's just really delightful, right? Oh, these people, these people have terrible blisters past the popcorn. I don't know what that says about me, but I loved it. It was fantastic. There is a little bit of language. Um, people are running over a hundred miles. So the, their filters break down. There, there is a little bit of language in it. So just a, a warning on that. If it's probably not good for smaller kids. Um, but it was, it was a delight and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, it, it is a celebration of the quirks of the human spirit and what it means to participate in something that's a little bit off the beaten track. So highly recommend the Barkley marathons. Secondly, a song recommendation, and this song was recommended to me by Mary Simon, one of our wonderful longtime PECOM members. Mary Simon said, if your kids are doing dance parties at the end of the day, I highly recommend Matthew West's song, Amen. And I thought, well, that sounds like kind of a serious song, right? And then I listened to it, and then I played it for the children, and they love it. It is upbeat and funny, and if you need something to dance to, Matthew West's Amen. Highly, highly recommend 
And then finally, as we're talking about politics, one of the most hot button political issues in our country is, of course, the issue of abortion. And when does human life begin? And what does it mean to protect the most vulnerable? The best book I have ever read on the subject of abortion is not a, um, it's not a book on policy. It's not a book on legal wrangling. It is a book about one woman's story in, in carrying a baby that was found to have a devastating and uh, fatal, fatal health complication. The book is called Perfectly Human. Nine Months with Carrion. It's by Sarah Williams, and it was a Christianity Today book of the year last year or the year before, Um, but this is just such a beautiful and profound and powerful read. Sarah Williams is a professor. She is deeply wise and a fantastic writer, and how the book frames who is human and who is not and how we decide that and the way Sarah's decision uh, ended up ministering to doctors and nurses and hospice workers and her own family and the suffering it entailed for her family. I, I just wept through this book. It is not an easy read. It is not a light read, but I cannot recommend it highly enough. I finished it and then I gave a couple, a copy to Daryl and Daryl read it and he was weeping and it, it just really, Sometimes we get so embroiled in political arguments, I think we forget what it is we are what it is we are saying, what it is we are talking about. So I'll link to it in the show notes. Highly recommend the book Perfectly Human, Nine Months with Carrion by Sarah Williams. She is a beautiful writer um, on top of being a, a very, very wise wise professor and guide. And the other thing about this book is it's not heavily preachy. Um, so it is a book, no matter which side of this particular debate you find yourself on, it's, it's a book worth reading and it's a book that, um, is kind and gentle in its approach to this decision, even as it comes down very firmly on one side, highly recommend, highly, highly recommend this book. What are you reading friends? What are you listening to? What are you watching? What has ministered to you in this season? What is giving you joy? What is giving you grace? And what are your hopes for our country as we go into this election season? And I'm not looking for your hope being that that one person is elected or another person is elected, but what policies, what um, structures, what organizations, what down to the very neighborhood microcosms, what are your hopes for your neighborhood, your household, our country, and our world? I would love to hear. Drop me a line anytime, Courtney.ellis at mypcom.com. All right, friends, we will end with our prayers. I would love for us today to pray for the poets. Pray for the poets in our lives. Maybe there is a poet in your house. There is a poet who has written a book that has meant a lot to you. As we think about campaigning and poetry before governing in prose, who are the poets who have blessed you? Maybe it's the psalmists in the Bible. Maybe you're not a poetry person at all, but you love a little Shel Silverstein or something like that. Um, songwriters are poets as well. So let us pray for the poets, for those who help us slow down enough to listen to the world, to listen to our neighbors, to listen to the Lord. I am thankful for Scott Cairns, the poet who brought us our opening poem on slow learning. 
So fellow e-commerce, fellow slow learners, we are all on this journey together. It has been so delightful to be with you today. I look forward to being with you again next week. And until then, take care, be well, and God bless.